My name is Ross Anderson. I'm one of our teaching pastors here at Alpine Church. And as we go through the Gospel of Mark, we've come to a chapter today. You know, we, come, we just take every chapter as it comes and we're looking at just what is there in the, in the text of Scripture. Today we come to a chapter where we're going to talk about marriage and divorce. Now, I know this is a tough, this is a tough issue um, because there's so many different experiences there's so many different perspectives on that in our culture, and even in a, even in a congregation like, like Syracuse, um, there's so many ways that this has touched your life, positively, negative marriage, and so forth. But what we want to do today is look at, at God's perspective on this. We're going to see how Jesus defines what God's perspective on marriage and divorce actually is. So if you're married today, then I want to encourage you to look at how God designed marriage to work. And when we look at that and, and look at that instead of the way the culture thinks marriage should work, it's a great encouragement. And it really helps us get our bearings and helps us know how to succeed. If you're not married today, well, you probably know somebody who is. <laughs> and maybe, maybe somebody who's married has confided in you. Or maybe you'd like to be married someday. Or maybe you were married at some point in the past. We're going to take a look at how marriage affects all of us, really. It affects our culture. And you know what? If you're divorced today... We're not going to throw you under the bus. We're going to talk about divorce with grace. We want to understand how it fits into God's overall plan. And so that you can understand what, what God has in store for you moving forward in your life. And so this is a passage in Mark chapter 1. We're, just, we're looking at uh, verses 1 through 12. This is a passage <clears throat> where Jesus is confronted with a question from his opponents that brought up this question about marriage and divorce. And so I want to pay attention to two things today. I want to pay attention not only to the answer that Jesus gives, that's going to help us understand you know, our own lives, but I want you to pay attention to where Jesus got that answer, to how he derived the answer that, that he, how he solved that question, because that's also going to show us something about, about how to handle life. And so... If you're married today or if you plan to be married, then here's a question that I want to ask you. And This is going to be in the back. We're not going to talk about this question all the time today, but it's going to be in the back of our thinking today. How hard would you fight for your marriage? How hard would you fight for your marriage? Because here's, here's the thing. So um, the Jewish law actually permitted divorce. The leaders in Judaism, however, were divided into several uh, camps, several interpretations of what the law of Moses said. And so they were actually kind of squabbling among themselves about how to, how to work that out in application. And that's part of the backdrop of our, of our story today. Another part of the backdrop you want to know about is that, that marriage in the ancient world, whether it's in Judaism or apart from Judaism, in the other cultures of the ancient world that surrounded the, the, the culture of Israel... Marriage was not seen as a union of equals for the mutual benefit of both. It just wasn't. It was seen as an institution dominated by males, for essentially for male benefit. And so I really want to see how Jesus provides some new insight into that perspective. Now, what we've seen in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, is the Pharisees are committed to undermining Jesus. They keep coming at him with questions, with, with uh, opposition and so forth, because his teaching threatened their position in society. 
You know, he came along and, and he, was, he was undermining their position. And so they often tried to trap him in his words, but they, we've seen in Mark over and over again, they just have been slapped down once again, once and, once again and once again. And, and he just keeps winning those debates. Whenever they ask Jesus about God's character, they ask Jesus about God's plan for the world, you know, he would have the final answer. And so you can see that with each inter- interaction, the tension is growing on the part of the, these opponents. So Mark 10 is their latest attempt to try to trap Jesus. They're, they're thinking, okay, let's get him to weigh, on, to weigh in on this controversial topic in our culture about divorce. And so let's take a look at um, chapter 10 of verses 1 and 2. Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. And once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And so, why is this a trap? Well, the Jewish community of Jesus' day was largely permissive about divorce. Again, against that, that backdrop of easy divorce, if they could get Jesus to say that divorce is wrong, then he'd be going against the law of Moses, and, and he would contradict it, and that would show him to be a heretic. So they're trying to find some way to get Jesus to put his foot in his mouth. Now, implied in the question that they asked is, is a subtext about whether divorce was allowed for any and every reason. And in fact, in, in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 19, where it talks about this same conversation, it specifically adds that phrase. So Mark chose to leave it out, Matthew put it in. But that was the actual debate among Jewish religious scholars, whether there was any or every reason that made divorce permissible. And so I want you to understand that that's in the backdrop. That's in, in what people are thinking. And so on to verses 3 and 4. Jesus answered them with a question He says, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. So again, Jewish law permitted divorce. And I want to show you the passage in the law of Moses that these Pharisees were referring to. It's Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, where where Moses taught, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she's free to marry another man. Now, honestly, that doesn't look that hot for women, right? To be able to be dismissed so easily from a marriage relationship. And, and the, the key issue there is that everyone was debating about in Jesus' day was um, having discom- discovered something wrong with her. How wrong was the wrong? You know, how the people disagreed. I will t- I'll tell you about that in a minute. But the silver lining here between, in this is that this is different from the cultures that surrounded Israel at that time. Because the, the provision made here that a husband who divorced his wife had to write a decree of divorce. In other words, he had to make an official statement that he gave her. And that protected her status. And it gave her freedom to go marry again. So that, that was how Israel was somehow had this a little bit better than the cultures around it. But then the law of Moses goes on to explain further that if she remarries, the first husband has no right to come take her back. 
Now, now, can you imagine? So, so the, the mentality in the cultures of the, t- of the day was that that woman was some kind of property. That he could say, oh, I want, I, want that, I want my property back. I want you back. And so Jesus, uh, God here is addressing the cultural norms that devalued women and that made property out of them. So, I mean, realistically, we see from the whole of Scripture that women in God's eyes are incredibly valuable and, and ought to be treasured. And if a man, so the law of Moses saying, look, if a, if a man, dude, you're going to choose to divorce your wife, that's on you, now she's free. And we'll see later how Jesus went even farther than that to honor women and to bring that into a different, even a different place. So, again, the point is that the law of Moses allowed divorce. But there are many interpretations about what Deuteronomy chapter 24 meant when it talks about discovering something wrong or when it talks about can you be divorced for any and every reason. There's so many different interpretations. For example, one rabbinic school of Jesus' day said that a husband may not divorce his wife except on the condition of unfaithfulness. So that was a pretty narrow view of, of what, you know, uh, what is something wrong that's been discovered. Then there was another group that said a man could divorce his wife for any reason, just whatever. Like you, like you cooked dinner bad last night, today you could be out. You know, it was just it was that open. It was how wide open it is. There was a third rabbinic approach that said a man could divorce his wife if another woman just looked better. They just wanted to go after some woman that looked better. And of course, these are all interpretations that were invented by men, right? There's not, no surprise there. That's, that's not really crazy. Men had control. But it's against that backdrop that the Pharisees want Jesus to speak on that issue, hoping that he'll say something that's not credible. Hoping that he'll say something that goes against what Moses said in the law. Or hoping that he'll say something that, you know, when, when you have such a diverse group of opinions and you say something, you could get everybody to dislike you, right? So that's what they're kind of hoping will happen with here. But what we're going to see is that Jesus refused to look at marriage through the lens of Moses' teaching. And in fact, he certainly did not look at marriage through the lens of the Jewish rabbis who were interpreting Moses. So really, he says, I'm not even going to get involved in your debate. He says, I'm going to focus on on something even more important. They were so focused on the, the letter of the law, and they missed the intent of the law. And as humans typically do, they took something good that God gave, the idea of marriage, they twisted it into a corrupt tool to oppress people that that God said to protect. So what Jesus did is he trumped all that by bringing the issue back to God's original intention for marriage. How did God set it up in the first place? What did God originally plan in order to bless people? And to summarize that, it's in Genesis chapter 2. We'll look at that in a moment. But to summarize that, God's original plan is a unity between one man and one woman for life. Now, in the process, by the way, Jesus elevated significantly the position of women in that culture. So let's take a look. Mark chapter 10. Let's jump in back in in verse 5. Jesus responded, He wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart, but God has joined together. 
And so you see that the law of Moses, it points out here that it did not really express God's original purpose in marriage. See, what the law of Moses expressed was a concession to human sin. He says, look, because of your hardness of heart, he said, I'm going to make this provision. You're going to get it a little bit easier, whatever, at least easier for some. And so what Jesus does is he leapfrogs all the way back over the law of Moses to the original order of creation to explain the fundamental meaning of marriage. Now, this is a great lesson for us, I think, today. Because if you think about how much time and how much energy we, you know, as a culture, that we spend all this time, all this energy at the beginning of a marriage and at the end of a marriage. Compared to how little the culture puts into the actual marriage itself. Everything in between. So Jesus' point is that we can't define God's intention for marriage just by examining if and how it should end. He says that we're asking the wrong question. God's design for marriage is that two become one. They close the books on their individual lives and they open the book on a life that they share together. See, the rabbis were defining marriage in terms of circumstances. Was the wife unfaithful? Did she please her husband? And these are just, these are just passing circumstances. But God defines marriage in completely different terms. He says that a man and a woman who marry are no longer two but one. Reminding us that God is defining marriage on a much deeper basis, a much profound basis on something so much more fundamental than people's actions toward each other. There's this fundamental unity that is created by the marriage bond. Now, let's look at the passage that Jesus was referring to back in Genesis chapter 2. It says, the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and, she, and he brought it her to the man. And alas, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So in the context here, what's happening just before this is that Adam's been studying the animal world. Adam's been doing, like, doing a science project on the animal world, and he's been naming all the animals. And in doing so, surely Adam saw that there was a correspondence between male and female in every species. But he didn't see a being who corresponded to him. When God brought this other person... He recognized their, their connection, their unity, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And he got excited about that. And so, sorry pet lovers, but a dog is not man's best friend. There's something, you'll never have a fundamental unity with your kitty cat. Because you're not the same kind of being. They're not the same kind of creature as you. But this explains the nature of how a man and a woman are joined in marriage. It says the two are united into one. And so what I want you to notice here, among other things, is that this fundamental unity between two persons, this actually elevates women. A woman in that, Jesus is saying that, look, a woman, this is God's design. She, the wife is not just some add-on to some dude's life. That, that she's not just a servant or a valet or something like that. That she's not just on the periphery. But the Pharisees and other ancient culture, cultures around Israel also had assumed that, that 
that men are the primary characters in marriage. Well, Jesus, in response to Genesis chapter 2, he points out that both husband and wife are to submit to God so that God is actually the primary character in the relationship. Not the husband, not the wife. And when he says, let no one split apart what God has joined together, this is how, our, this is how we think about marriage in our culture today. We think, oh, we joined ourselves together. We can split ourselves apart if we want to. But Jesus says God is the one who joins every husband, every wife into one, into one, together with the other one. That's why he's the Lord of marriage. And so Jesus says, hey, don't go against the way that God created it to be. He created marriage to be a union. And many marriages ultimately fall apart because the people in them forget this key concept and forget that equality in value and in accountability that we each have before the eyes of God. You know, I bet if you go, go talk to Christian couples who've been married for decades, you're talking to that couple that's been married for a long, long time. I mean, I think what you're almost always going to hear is, I love my husband, I love my wife, but I love Jesus more. They know that God has the final say in their marriage, and they're submitted to that. So Jesus tells us, just summarize what we got so far. Jesus tells us that in marriage, it's not about who pleases whom. It's not about one person's rights. It's not about who gets to be in charge. It's not about what men want. And even in today's culture, we could turn the tables, right? It's not even about what women want. And this teaching was controversial in that day because it elevated the position of women in culture. And when we practice marriage the way that God designed it, both men and women are equally valuable, equally accountable to God. That leaves no room at all for toxic masculinity, for radical feminism. And Jesus reinforces this later when he and the disciples were in private. They still wanted to talk some more about the topic. Well, sure they did, because Jesus, Jesus just blew up all their assumptions about marriage. They're going like, huh? You know, there's, can tell some more. And so they got, went back to the house, and in that gathering, he explained more about the implications of Genesis chapter 2 and what that original crea- uh, marriage design was all about and how the oneness that's described there applies to the original question that the Pharisees asked in the first place. They, they asked back in verse 2, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And Jesus says, let's think about how God's original design applies to that question. So take, let's take a look in verses 10 through 12. <clears throat> Later, when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought up the subject again. He told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. So first of all, Jesus is laying out equal accountability to both. Both men and women need to think through the consequences of their choices. This was radical in Jesus' day because it elevated the value of women to the same as men. And it's radical in our day because Jesus taught that marriage is a permanent institution. And he underscored that by saying that remarriage after divorce constitutes adultery. Now, that's a pretty radical statement. That's like going, whoa, wait a minute. I haven't heard that in the newspaper. That's not what our culture is saying about remarriage and divorce. 
And so I want you to understand the logic behind that. Why did Jesus come up with that? The logic behind that is it goes back to Genesis. It goes all the way back to chapter 2 of Genesis because if what God, what God says there is true, if a woman and a man are united into one, as God has defined marriage back then at the beginning, then if that's the case, then a legal decree, a piece of paper, doesn't change that. Just because they decide to split up, even if they decide to start relationships with other people, it doesn't change that fundamental oneness that was created by the original marriage. Because they're still united as one in the eyes of God, then Jesus says a remarriage constitutes adultery. Now, <clears throat> there are conditions where the New Testament permits divorce. There are conditions when that marital union that God created is shattered. It's so broken and so shattered that, that God says a divorce is okay. It's never the best, but it's a response to a, a tough situation. And, and God says, you know, there, there are times and places when that's okay. The main one that the Bible makes exception is the issue of sexual unfaithfulness. And that happens in many different forms. It's not just adultery, but the word in the New Testament is a broad word for many forms of sexual unfaithfulness. That breaks a marriage. Doesn't mean that a divorce has to happen, but that it's permissible. Another situation is when a believer is married to an unbeliever. Let's say you're married and, then, and your spouse decides they're going to follow Jesus now. And the unbeliever chooses to leave because of the spouse's faith in Jesus then that, that, that's a permissible divorce because saying that your relationship with, with God is, is more important than that relationship with that person. And what I believe is that in those cases where divorce is permissible, then so is remarriage. If the one is permissible, the other one is. But, but let me, let's look at, get back to the main point here. I don't want to get bogged down in the details of different situations. The main point here that Jesus is making is that marriage is not just a legal situation defined by the government. It's not even just a situation defined by the, the men and the women who engage in it, but it's a deep unity between those two people that's created by God. Even if they don't have God in their life, it's the way God designed it to work. And if you think about it, when two people do get divorced, their lives are still interconnected, intertwined, whether they like it or not, because they're intertwined through children, they might be interconnected through financial commitments. I mean, just think about it. Here's a practical thing. I've had a simple thing, but it's not simple. What do you do with all those photo albums that show him and her in family situations, at a sister's wedding, at the uncle's funeral, when they're no longer together? That's just a simple illustration of how absolutely one those two people have become and how hard it is to unravel what God has joined together. And so... To sum it up, <clears throat> honestly, I believe that our culture demeans marriage. And so that's why I think we need to take a stand for marriage. I think our culture demeans marriage because it says that marriage is not even necessary between people who really love each other. Why bother with marriage? It says marriage can end at either party's convenience. Our culture says that marriage is nothing more than a legal arrangement between two people who are physically infatuated with each other. 
And so it's good for us today to come back and remember God's original design. Because marriage is tough. Marriage, it goes against our intrinsic selfishness. That marriage unity is really tough for two sinners to work out with each other. So let me close by just some thoughts for different groups that you might be listening today. First of all, if you're married today and things are rough, I just want you to remember that God is the Lord of your relationship. You know, honestly, I have so much compassion for that, for your situation. And seeing how hard it can be. A tough marriage, when you're going through a tough time, how hard that can be on people. But God's the Lord. Your spouse is not the Lord of the marriage. You're not the Lord of the marriage. So I want to encourage you. God has a plan to see you through the difficulty. God's purpose is to bring you together into the oneness that he created you for. And so it's not like God just hates you, so you have to stay married to that jerk. No, it's like God loves you, and he can do more in your marriage than you could imagine when you submit to him. So you commit yourself to his plan. And go get some help. Get some help. Here's some, one of the things that I, I would recommend is that you find a couple, a Christian couple, a couple committed to Jesus who've been married longer than you have. And, and take them out to coffee or buy them dinner and say, hey, how does it work for you guys? How do you guys deal with this or this or this? We can't figure this out. But fight for your spouse. God is in the business of miracles. I tell you, I've been in ministry for a long time, for 40 years, and I have seen so many marriages restored from the brink of destruction. God can do it. Now, let me talk to you if you've been divorced. And we see, you know, that again, so much compassion because, because marriage is hard. And so many times divorce feels like the only way out. But I want us to understand, based on what Jesus has said and based on what God's original plan here has said, that we, we should never take divorce lightly. We should never just blow it off. And, eh, who cares? So I don't want to encourage divorce. I want to encourage troubled marriages to get help. This was tough for me because my son went through a divorce this year. And it's like I, I, didn't, I didn't want to encourage him. I didn't want to encourage him to do what God said you know, that don't do. But it was so hard on him, and it was so challenging. So, so, I, so I get it. I, I don't want to take it. I don't want to take it lightly, but I want to have compassion at the same time. And so, divorce. I want you to. I want to say, even though we don't take it lightly, and we, even though we take it seriously, I want to. I want to really add this: that I want you to understand. If you've been through a divorce, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. If you've been divorced, God has not cast you off. It doesn't make you a second-class citizen in the family of God. It's just a reality of life. Life is a hard, it's hard in a tough, fallen world. And we all blow it in different ways. And things don't always go the way we hope they'll go in so many different ways. I want to encourage you that if, if you've been divorced, that God still has a plan for your life. God, his grace is sufficient for you. That Jesus has covered every sin when he died on the cross. I realize I don't know your situation at all. I don't know how hard that marriage was. I don't know what went wrong or what maybe you tried and worked really hard and it didn't work out. I don't know what happened to you or what happened to it. 
But I just want to encourage you, whatever it was, that, that you own up to your part. Your 1%, maybe it was. Maybe it was 50%. Maybe it was more. You own up to your part, however big or small it might have been. And you confess your role in that to God. And then you receive Jesus' forgiveness for everything that went into it. You receive his forgiveness. You receive his new hope, new direction. Pursue him with reckless abandon. Ask him to show you where, who you are in his eyes and what he wants for you next. And follow him wherever he leads. It's interesting because um, yesterday... My wife Sally spent the afternoon talking to an old friend. Um, she's been through a divorce. She's a Christian, a vibrant Christian. She's involved in all, lots of ministry, and, and she went through a divorce. I'm not going to go through into the details of why and whatnot and what happened with all that. And She felt like it was something that was necessary. But she can't stop beating herself up about it. You know, I'd say that if you've been through a divorce, it's good for you to own, like I said, to own some responsibility for your part in that. And she's done that, and done that, and done that, and done that, and won't stop doing that. And she can't move on. She can't move into something God has for her, because she's stuck in the, in the regret, and in the shame, and the defeat of the choice that she made. And so Sally just told her, look, you gotta, you got to move on. Because Jesus said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That doesn't apply just to the thing that you, that you did in private. That applies to everything, everything in life. And so, so Sally had to tell her, look, you need to grab a hold of what Jesus has in store for you ahead and stop living in the past and the regret of what happened in the past. And I hope, she hear, I, hope, I hope she hears that. I hope she hears that. <clears throat> but if you're considering marriage, maybe after today and maybe after this message, you're going to like, oh, never. I'm never going to get married because that's too hard, right? It is hard. And that's why I just really want to make sure that you understand what God's plan is, what God is calling us to in marriage. Because it's not always the romance that movies make it out to be. I mean, really, seriously, movies don't ever, ever talk about marriage. They talk about their initial romance, and then, and then it lasts three weeks, and then the rest of life, like, it's not even in any movies, right? Until the end, like he said, like, we spend so much time on the beginning and so much time on the end. But you know what? It, it, it marriages, it takes intentionality, it takes sacrifice, but it can be so blessed by God. God will bless it as you surrender to him. So Sally and I, <clears throat> interestingly enough, Wednesday was our anniversary. So we spent Wednesday, it was our ninth anniversary, okay? So um, just so you're going like, wait a minute, you're not like 23, so, or 30 even. Um, Sally and I were both married before. My wife died. Her husband was unfaithful. And so we have both have experience, we both have years of experience with marriage. But e even for us, it's still hard. It's still a challenge. Um, we're still learning. I'm still learning how to serve her and what makes her happy and, and what her needs are and how to make her feel loved and valued. And we're together, we're still really learning about how to communicate about hard things. But before we got married, neither one of us, was, um, neither one of us imagined how God could provide a new relationship for each, either one of us to replace what had gone before. So... 
marriage is tough. It's a challenge. Against, it's a challenge to, when two selfish people come together. It's a challenge against the culture and the things that are happening in life. But it's also a blessing. It's also the way God designed it to work. And we live the way God designed, you know, that we're going to experience a better life. <clears throat> so before you get married, make sure you understand how God designed that and, you're, and that you're actually committed to that vision. But for all of us, let me just close with this reminder. That God has a plan for marriage. It was not invented by religious leaders. We saw earlier how they messed it up. It was not something that was just for long ago. It still applies today. God's plan is very different from the plan that our culture has. And so I want to encourage all of us, no matter what your marital status is, I want to encourage all of us to stand up for marriage the way God designed it. So that our attitudes, our responses, and our commitments are shaped by what Jesus said and not by the tides of opinion that surround us in the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good plans, for your great intentions. And we acknowledge, Father, that even your best of your, the best of your plans, that we can mess them up pretty easily because we're sinners, we're selfish. But Father, thank you that you've made it clear to us. You've brought us back to, the, the, to page one of the marriage manual. You've brought us back to the original design and the intent today. And yet there's so many, so many circumstances in our lives. There's so many who are in a different place today. We pray your Holy Spirit would help each one of us to figure out what is next. What's the response that you want us to have to this? Father, for, for those of us who are, who are married and our marriages are pretty good. We thank you. We just want to thank you, God. We want to, let's cultivate that. And let's, let's not, let's, and let's not go, get passive or take it for granted. And for those of us, Father, who are married and our marriages are tough right now. They're hard and there's things going on. There's parenting. There's finances. There's, we can't seem to communicate. We have baggage from the past. Father, help us to get help. Help us to commit to your purpose and to your goodness in it and help us to get some help to talk to somebody who can help us break through. And Father, for, for those who are going to be married someday, Father, we pray that you teach each of us the way that you want us to do it. And for those who've been married and been divorced, Father, we pray for your purpose and your plan to unfold into the future, that there'd be a, a, a very positive process of learning from that and of coming to you and bringing that before you in all of its broken pieces and saying God what next what do you want to do in my life next what do you have for me next I want to follow you I want to I want to go after you and so father each one of there's so many different scenarios we bring them all to you we ask you to lead you to you to give us your instruction you to give us your encouragement we pray father that that everyone here would connect with someone who can help them to process the things that you're saying to them today. Thank you, Father, your love for us. Thank you, God, we can talk about this without judgment, without condemnation, because of what Jesus did on the cross. We just want your best. And we pray it in his name and for his honor and glory. Amen.